you're seeking biblical wisdom and understanding in these difficult and trying times, and you recognize the power of God's Word to delve deep into the issues of the heart, then welcome to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney, husband, father, counselor, author, and teacher. Join us for Christ-centered, gospel-driven truth concerning our individual, marital, and parenting struggles. This is Biblical Counseling Today. Our emotions are gifts from God. He created us to be feeling people. Imagine what it would be like if we could not feel, if we did not have emotional responses to the world around us. Now, you may know someone or be someone who believes that they have no emotions, but that's just not true. Emotionless people have simply put too firm a clamp on their emotions or choose to ignore and deny their feelings. Emotions are not only good gifts, they are essential to the Christian life. What we experience at the feeling level is an indicator of issues of the heart and mind. Emotions provoke us to deal with ourselves, other people, this world, and even with God. So God has not created us to be stoic people with no emotions. We are to fully embrace that part of our bodies and souls. But Satan also has a master plan for our emotions. He tempts us to use them in a way that only confuses and deceives us. First, he wants us to be more focused on our emotions than any other part of ourselves. In other words, our emotions rule the day. Accordingly, Satan tempts us to only want the good emotions and resist any of the difficult emotions. We must always feel good or not feel at all. But then there's the opposite extreme, where Satan is successful to lead people to ignore and deny their emotions not dealing with the underlying heart and mind problems then. And then there are people who get addicted to negative emotions. They can only truly feel when they feel bad. To feel good is too scary for them. Satan loves to seduce us to one extreme or the other, either tempting us to stifle any and all emotions or to fully express them with abandon. Again, we must recognize that he just imitates and distorts God's good gifts. In the case of our emotions, we need to think biblically about them, resisting the common worldly wisdom. Just as we need the Spirit to renew our minds, we need him to sanctify our emotional responses. Now, some may argue that we can't help how we feel. There's some truth to that, which we'll talk about later. Yet Christians can mature in how we experience emotions and what we do with them. In this episode, we'll deal with one of the good emotions, happiness. Nothing wrong with being happy, right? Well, it depends. So let's dig down deep into how Satan confuses us with the lure of happiness when what we really need is the godly attitude of joy. The most important thing is to enjoy your life, to be happy. That's all that matters, says the theologian Audrey Hepburn. The purpose of our lives is to be happy, says the Dalai Lama. Benjamin Franklin once said, Wine is constant proof that God loves us and loves to see us happy. I like that one. Then there's this one. 
The only thing that will make you happy is being happy with who you are, said by Goldie Hawn. And then here's a quote by President Abraham Lincoln. Most folks are as happy as they make up their minds to be. And then Susan B. Anthony, independence is happiness. And my all-time favorite, happiness is a warm puppy. Yes, the famous book title by Charles Schultz. These and many, many other sentiments about happiness tell us several things about this emotion. Happiness is highly valued by all of us. We all want to be happy. It tells us that to many, happiness is to be pursued above all other things in this life. Also believed by many, happiness is a choice, something we choose or don't choose. And then there are many things that make us happy, including wine and puppies. So let's begin our understanding of happiness, our biblical understanding of happiness, with a standard definition. Happiness is a sense of well-being or contentment. It is that feeling that comes over you when you know life is good. Happiness is, of course, the opposite of sadness. And then we know that when people are successful or safe or lucky in the world's terms, they feel happiness. Okay, that's a good starting point. But again, we're talking and we need to talk about what the Bible says about happiness. So how are those definitions working into a biblical definition or not? Now, interestingly, the word happy does not appear in the New Testament at all. Now, this is using the English Standard Version of the Bible. It is used 13 times in the Old Testament with several Hebrew words underneath it. The Hebrew word most often translated as happy is the word baruch, which is better translated blessed or fortunate. So as we often say in the Bible belt, I feel blessed is synonymous with I feel happy. But what do we make of the fact that the very important emotion of happiness is not referenced much in God's word? On the other hand, the word joy appears over 200 times in the scriptures. Yes, I know many of us use the terms happiness and joy as synonyms. That's perfectly understandable. But happiness and joy are not always the same thing. More importantly, Satan confuses us by elevating the world's definitions of happiness, making the pursuit of happiness the highest calling. So let's break it down and think about how happiness can become a satanic deception. First, happiness is based on our present circumstances. All of us as human beings can make this observation. Happiness is always connected to the situation we find ourselves in. When my football team wins the national championship, I'm happy, elated, thrilled. I can't fall asleep for hours just reveling in that happiness. When we receive good news or good gifts or anything perceived to be good, we will immediately experience happy feelings. This is normal human experience. We know there's a problem when a person has something good happen in their lives, but does not respond with happiness. Yes, this is often the problem of depression or other issues. 
So we humans have plenty of happy feelings when life is good, when our circumstances are perceived to be going the way we want them to go. Satan, of course, knows this connection between good circumstances and happy feelings. Therefore, he works to convince us that there is absolutely no way we can be happy when things are not going our way. He works to make us preoccupied with our circumstances, to either keep them the same or to get them to change in our favor. That makes sense, right? If I'm going to be happy, I must do my best to manipulate the situation at hand. Since my happiness is often linked to my favorite sports team, I will try to convince myself that sports are stupid whenever my teams are losing. After all, I can do nothing to make them win or help them win. So I must manipulate my own mind to try to change the situation. Now, it is certainly true that we often can't control what things make us happy and what things don't matter. To some people, a bowl of ice cream brings on great happiness, while others are unmoved by it. Certain songs or television shows or movies bring happy feelings, while the same entertainment may bring disgust or even sadness to someone else. Happiness as an emotion signals what we often value the most. Again, Satan works to entice us to pin our happiness to all the wrong things, to circumstances and situations that are always changing. Well, this fact leads us to the next point. Happiness is fleeting. It doesn't endure. Because our circumstances are temporary and not permanent, happiness comes and goes. Now, you may say that you know people who are happy all the time. I would submit to you that you are using the wrong term. They potentially have long-standing joy, not transitory happiness. Then there are those people who appear to have one good circumstance after another. I have friends like this on Facebook. Every day appears to be a great day for them. If this is the reality for some, then I suppose they could experience unending happiness. But for us normal people, life fluctuates between good circumstances and bad ones. Even if our lives are generally good, there are plenty of bad things that happen. From the meaningless loss of a sports competition to the serious suffering of disease, disability, or death. So how does Satan confuse us with this aspect of happiness? Well, for one thing, he convinces us that we don't want happy feelings to be fleeting. We want them to last. That leads us back to trying to manipulate our situation for our good. But it also can make us resistant to being happy in the first place. After all, if happiness is going to only last a little while, and then the other shoe drops, why be that happy in the first place? This will potentially lead a person to become depressed, where it's just easier than being happy. Thus, Satan can make us fear happiness in the end because it will go away at some point. Or he can tempt us to hold on to it with all our might, using substances and other things to never allow that happy feeling to go away. Which leads us to the next point. Happiness is addictive. I would submit that it is impossible to be addicted to joy, but people can easily become addicted to happiness. I won't go into the neurobiology of happy feelings, but it should be obvious that there are chemicals that bounce around inside us that produce a certain euphoria 
when we are happy. Then there are legal and illegal substances that also produce a giddy happiness in us. My point is that we all love that happy feeling, and we can end up loving it way too much. When it goes away, we have to get it back as soon as possible. The quickest way to get it back is some good wine or other type of drugs. No, I'm not suggesting that we Christians can't have a glass of wine or any other legal substance, but we must exercise wisdom and caution about why we are indulging and what happens when we lose that happy feeling. Yes, some people simply drink when they are happy to accentuate that feeling, but others use substances when they are desperately sad, discouraged, and depressed. The offer to let's go get a drink is often preceded by bad things happening, not good. Now, setting aside the whole substance thing, we can be tempted by Satan and our own sin to simply believe that we must be happy all the time. This is the true addictive nature of happiness. To be sad ever is just not acceptable. Christians can confuse this with joy, thinking they're just pursuing the constancy of joy. But more often than not, it's a desire to always be happy and never be sad. It is the mindset that I must become happy as quickly as possible because sadness stinks. Satan tries to convince us that sadness is to be avoided, even though it is an emotion that God created. God has designed us to be sad when situations are sad. So beware happiness as an addiction. It can become our great preoccupation. Happiness was never designed by God to be the all-consuming human emotional experience. Now let's continue with more thoughts on happiness and how Satan confuses us. Here's the fourth one. Happiness is most often linked to other people and what they do or don't do. Since happiness is totally situational, it is frequently dependent on how other people treat us. When someone does something nice for you, it makes you happy, right? Here in the South, we call little gifts given for no real reason, happies. We give them with the goal of eliciting a happy response from other people. When our spouse is treating us kindly, nicely, giving us attention, we are happy. When friends or siblings or parents are doing the same, again, happy feelings. Unfortunately, these same people or other enemies can do many things that provoke us to be unhappy, to be sad, to be angry, to be anxious. Our source of happiness quickly becomes the people closest to us, those we work with, go to school with, live with, etc. So how does Satan use this aspect of happiness? First, he can tempt us to only have people around us who make us happy. Who needs difficult people in their lives anyway? If a spouse makes us unhappy enough, it's time to get rid of him or her. Friends or other family members can be dispensed of even quicker when they're not contributing to my happiness. Some people are tempted by Satan to give up on relationships altogether. I know folks who would rather just have a warm puppy, a cold cat, or some other pet than people in their lives. Pets just make us much happier than people ever can. Satan also tempts us to get revenge on people who are not making us happy. If I'm not happy, then he can't be happy either. After all, misery loves company. 
Finally, Satan leads us to become grand manipulators of people, to use them for our own happiness. Now, there's so many ways people do that. We'll have to leave details on those for another podcast. Here's a fifth one. Happiness gives us the desire to do good. Now, how is this characteristic of happiness a bad thing? When people are happy, they tend to want to do good things. So let's keep everyone happy all the time. But why should the Christian do good works? Or maybe a better question, when should the Christian do good works? If we're only doing good when we're happy, then by definition, we are doing good when we feel like it. Is it impossible to do good things for God and others when we're sad? Satan wants us to believe that to be the truth. Again, since happiness is temporary, doing good things can be temporary as well when it is based solely on emotion. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to do something good for someone who has just done something that has blessed you. But for the Christian, that can't be the only motivating factor to return the favor, as we say. Satan often limits the amount of good works Christians do by keeping us preoccupied on our own sadness, our own suffering, our own difficulty. He wants us to think that only when I become happy again will I have the energy to do that which is good. While happiness gives us fuel for service, it's not the only source of energy. And I would suggest that it's not the best one either. And then sixth, happiness is self-centered. Of course it is. Since happiness is an emotion, it's my emotion. I am the only one that can feel my own happiness. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that every time you're happy, you are being selfish. Actually, people tend to like to be around happy people. Unless their happiness brings the other person sadness, as in the case of the opposite teams winning your game. So the Christian should not avoid being happy in order to not be self-centered. But the problem is that Satan uses that happy feeling to grow our self-centered sinful nature rather than grow our Christ-likeness. How does he do that? Well, for one thing, he draws the happy person into himself. Yes, many times when you're happy, you want to share it with the world. But sometimes happiness just makes you contented in and of yourself. It can lead you to contentedness that keeps you from engaging with others. In this way, happiness, again, acts as a drug, a personal source of pleasure. Another way Satan tempts us with our happiness is to keep us from true gratitude towards God. Just think for a moment about the last time you were exceptionally happy. Did you thank God for the situation or relationship that produced that happy feeling? Or did you just revel in it and enjoy it? God's word teaches us that every good gift comes from above, from a loving heavenly father. But we can tend to forget that when we're happy. At the same time, we can quickly blame God when things are bad in our lives. So do you see how self-centered we can become when we're happy or sad for that matter? This is another way our emotions begin to rule too much. Our feelings can make us way too focused on loving self instead of on loving God and loving other people. And finally, happiness must not be our highest goal. As you can tell and probably have experienced, happiness can easily become the thing we live for. 
what we long for the most. Several of my opening quotes about happiness expressed this, didn't they? Happiness is what we're made for in the world's eyes. This is the great imitation. I've heard it expressed like this. I'm so unhappy and miserable in my marriage. God wants me to be happy, so I'm leaving my wife or husband. Let's parse that often quoted affirmation. God wants me to be happy and apply some biblical logic to it. Is this what God wants for his children? Where do we find that in the Bible? Well, God certainly doesn't want his children to always be sad, depressed, and miserable, right? But does that necessarily mean he wants his children to be happy? A more definitive truth is God wants his children to be obedient. God wants his children to do his will. Hopefully you see the problem here. To say God wants us to have a certain emotional state makes our life feelings centered. And that will just end up making happiness our highest goal instead of the glory of God as our highest goal. And as in the case of the unhappy spouse, this satanic deception forces us to get rid of anything or anyone that is not making us happy. The truth is that nowhere in Scripture is happiness described as some high virtue or that Christians are supposed to walk through this life with utter happiness. But joy is an entirely different matter. That is where we will turn our attention next. So let's get a biblical mindset about joy. Here are several important principles. First, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. We read that in Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, etc. So this raises the question, can non-Christians experience joy? Well, they certainly can be happy. They certainly can be ecstatic and euphoric. But true biblical joy is reserved for the Christian as a fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is a very important distinction because it demonstrates that joy is not natural to human beings. True joy begins outside of us. We must allow the Spirit to work in our hearts in order to experience godly joy. But we must be careful to not believe that we're passive in this process, just waiting for the Spirit to produce joy in our hearts. No, as with the rest of the work of the Spirit, we cooperate with the Spirit, actively desiring and seeking to be filled with joy. Joy is not dependent on situations. It is dependent on a maturing dependency on the Lord and His work in our lives. Which leads us to the next principle. Joy is God-centered. The Apostle Paul in Romans 14, 17 writes, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. God's kingdom is supposed to be filled with joyful people. In other words, a joyless Christian is an oxymoron. It just doesn't make sense. We are inhabitants of the kingdom of God where peace and joy reign. But Satan tempts us to have our hearts based in this world, in the fake kingdom of darkness. He wants us to forget what the kingdom of God is all about. 
So we are to remember that our joy is to be in God alone. It is never found in situations, in other people, or in ourselves. When you get right down to it, the only reasons we aren't experiencing joy is that we forget what a great God we serve and we forget what he's done for us. Our eternal gratitude would bring joy flooding into our hearts and minds. Then our joy leads us to rejoice in the Lord and not just in the circumstances that we find ourselves in. And then the third principle, joy springs from true hope in the Lord. Again, we read in the book of Romans, chapter 15, verse 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Where happiness puts our hope in a good situation, a good outcome, a good gift, or a good relationship, joy is found when our hope is in the Lord. God is the God of hope since he never fails his children. He always keeps his promises. So to find true joy, you must place your hope in God. When you abound in hope, you will necessarily abound in joy. Think about how hopelessness is connected to sadness, depression, anxiety, etc. When we're hopeless, there is no way to be happy or joyful. Satan wants us to put our hope in other things, idols that replace God. Not to beat a dead horse, but putting your hope in your sports team is a recipe for depression and anxiety. How sad is that? But we as Christians are the people of hope because we have the God of hope. There's no chance that God will fail us in any way. Put your hope in Him. And then fourth, joy is an attitude of the heart. This makes joy distinct from happiness as well. While happiness is a feeling, joy really is not. Joy certainly can produce good feelings, happy feelings, but is much deeper than just our emotions. Since joy is an attitude, it has the staying power that the emotion of happiness does not have. To put it another way, joy is a mindset that develops from a joyful heart. The Christian is able to have joy in his heart and mind. This means that joy is not dependent on good situations or circumstances. It can be had even when we are sad, hurting, angry, or frustrated. Joy transcends the fleeting emotions we have. And then fifth, joy is others-focused. Remember that our happiness is often dependent on what other people do or don't do to us. When we're seeking happiness, we have to make sure other people are treating us in the right ways. But joy is just the opposite. Since it is God-centered, it compels us to do good things for others. And we enjoy doing those things because of the joy we have in the Lord. Another way joy is others' focus is that we actually increase in joy when we see other Christians living for Christ with us. The Apostle Paul understood this aspect of joy. In Philippians 2.2, he writes, Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. When Christians are of the same mind and in unity with one another, we all increase in the joy of the Lord. 
even though our joy is in the Lord, how much more intense is it when Christians are sharing in that joy with one another? And then sixth, joy is to be counted when happiness is not felt. James says it like this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Now, trials of various kinds never bring happy feelings. If they do, there's something definitely wrong with our emotions. But when the attitude of joy, the fruit of the Spirit of joy is in our hearts, then we can look at the difficult situations and circumstances in a new way. Our internal accounting system assesses hard situations in the context of God's sovereignty and eternity. Only then can we count these trials as joy. When you don't feel happy, you can still count on joy. And you need that joy in order to get through the difficult times in this life. Well, there you have it. The difference between the very natural emotion of happiness and the supernatural attitude of joy. Satan will try to confuse the two, leaving us with only discouragement and depression. But the spirit is at work in you to produce joy as a child of the God of all joy. Let me close today's podcast with one last and maybe most familiar verses about joy. Nehemiah 8, verse 10. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat and drink sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you know where your strength lies as a Christian? It is in the joy of the Lord. Enjoy that truth today. Thank you for listening to Biblical Counseling Today with Dr. John Kwasney. This weekly podcast is supported by Biblical Counseling and Training Ministries, which you can learn more about at bctministries.com. If you have found yourself encouraged or challenged today, please share this podcast with your church, family, and friends. Rate us on iTunes and your social media outlets. It really helps. Until next time, may you enjoy the riches of God's compassionate grace and mercy in your life.